Hello, and welcome to Short Talks from the Hill, a podcast of the University of Arkansas. I'm Matt McGowan, science writer at the university, and today I'm talking to Kyle Quinn, assistant professor of biomedical engineering. Welcome, Kyle, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Kyle, in your work, you use something called multi-photon microscopy. What is multi-photon microscopy? How is it, maybe, how is it different than just a regular microscope? And how does it work? How do you use it? So one of the major differences between a regular microscope and multi-photon microscopy uh, is the fact that we can image in 3D. So when you put a standard, uh, a, a thick sample under a standard microscope, uh, you're going to see something that's fairly blurry. And with multi-photon microscopy, we have this intrinsic optical sectioning ability. Uh, so we basically can move a microscope uh, objective lens up or down and, and measure uh, the images at, at different depths. Uh, and so this is uh, very advantageous in that we can image uh, a very thick sample like a, an entire um, piece of tissue or an entire um, animal or, or human potentially. Um, so we can just bring an objective down uh, onto the skin and image cells uh, and tissue um, and characterize its organization. Uh, there's a number of advantages with multi-photon microscopy uh, as well. Uh, because we use near-infrared light rather than visible light or UV light, we can image deeper than your standard uh, microscopes or a lot of the standard microscopes that you find in, in research labs as well. And uh, it's also less damaging because we're using near-infrared light to basically do the same amount of work that UV light would normally do. And uh, as, uh, as many people may know, UV light can be particularly damaging to, to skin and, and tissue as well if you sit out in the sun too long. With these advantages uh, in, in, in an optical, uh, in an intrinsic optical sectioning uh, ability, uh, minimal photo damage, and, uh, and the deeper imaging penetration, uh, we explore a lot of techniques where we can image the, the outer layer of, uh, of skins and of skin and, and organs. Um, and in addition, there's a number of uh, molecules uh, in the body that are naturally fluorescent that we can pick up through multi-photon microscopy. And multi-photon microscopy enables something called autofluorescence, which is central to your work. What is autofluorescence imaging? So when we talk about autofluorescence, we're talking about um, really anything that is naturally fluorescent. Uh, so we don't take the, uh, a molecule or protein uh, with any fluorescent dye. Uh, and, and there's a number of, of things in the body, uh, in our cells, that, that are naturally fluorescent. Uh, two of those are NADH and FAD. These are metabolic cofactors involved in metabolism. Uh, and we can, we can take a ratio of the fluorescence intensity of these, uh, something we call an optical redox ratio, uh, to assess cell metabolism. And we can do this on a cell-by-cell -cell basis, and we can follow cells or tissues uh, over time. What are chronic skin wounds? Can you tell us what causes them and why, they're a, why they are a problem? So skin wound healing is a really complex problem. You have uh, multiple cell types that have to come in and, uh, and reform tissue. Uh, you have a number of different cell types with different metabolic demands, and uh, they have to, to coordinate uh, to, to reform the tissue. And uh, at any point, you could have a, a certain group of cells that, 
that may uh, no longer um, respond as expected, and and this causes some ensuing dysfunction in the healing process. And healing can either be impaired, or it can slow down, or it can it can stop. Um, there can be a number of reasons for this. Uh, you can have problems with uh, the cardiovascular system. Uh, diabetes is a, a major problem, so the hyperglycemia and the complications associated with diabetes can cause some uh, some delays and, and some some problems. Uh, certainly, the neuropathy becomes a problem in in that uh, sometimes patients don't even know that they had injured their uh, their foot. Uh, for, for example, they could step on a nail and not even realize it. Uh, and then you can have things like infection uh, causing a delay. You have some sustained inflammation as a result of that. And even certainly as we get older, uh, our skin doesn't heal as well. So there's a number of causes uh, for delays or problems uh, in the wound healing process that, that cause uh, specific problems with specific types of cells. What are some examples of chronic skin wounds? So chronic skin wounds are, uh, can take many forms, including diabetic foot ulcers, uh, pressure, pressure sores or, or bed sores as they're uh, often uh, um, known, uh, venous stasis ulcers, um, you know, there, there's a number of different types of, of forms, but the underlying uh, issue is there's non-healing, uh, there's a lack of healing. Well, just for a little bit of context here, about how many people suffer with chronic skin wounds? So chronic wounds are uh, a major societal problem. You have millions of, Amer of Americans uh, that, that suffer from non-healing wounds, and it, it costs billions of dollars. There's a, a, a number of uh, advanced wound care products out there, um, and so there's all kinds of things being tried uh, in the clinic, uh, really with variable uh, efficacy. Uh, and, and so part of the problem is we don't have a, a number of good measurements of delayed healing. So sort of attacking this problem, you have uh, conducted an animal study. So you uh, looked at chronic skin wounds on mice, and these were mice models that uh, were both, uh, it was both a control model and those with diabetes. Tell us what you found in this study and why, why it's important to study chronic skin wounds on the diabetic models. Right. So. Uh, to study diabetic wounds, uh, we use an animal model. Uh, it, we induce diabetes uh, in mice, and, and, and that's a standard preclinical model for delayed healing. It's used uh, in the development of a number of, of wound healing products. And so we wanted to demonstrate using this uh, standard preclinical model uh, how our optical redox ratio, this measure of, of cell metabolism, uh, may be used to predict delayed healing. So we, we monitored uh, mice for, for 10 days following wound, wounding at multiple time points uh, and, and found some interesting changes in the optical redox ratio. So we found the, the redox ratio would drop uh, initially and then rebound back up. And we found that this dynamic change corresponded to differences in the, the cell function. So as the redox ratio decreased, we had an increase in the number of cells proliferating, so the number of cells growing and dividing. And then as it rebounded back up, that corresponded to uh, the migration of the cells uh, over the wound. And what we found were diabetic wounds had a lower optical redox ratio when they should be migrating. Uh, instead, they were just sitting there uh, continuing to proliferate. So uh, we were sensitive to that uh, delayed uh, wound closure that we see in, in diabetic wounds. So for the diabetic models, the, the uh, cells were 
sort of remaining in kind of a stasis at the edge of the wound. With the diabetic mice, they, they seem to remain at the, the edge of the wound, like you said, uh, continuing to proliferate and not migrate uh, over the wound and, and reform that protective barrier that we need. Your most recent study used NADH fluorescence only to study metabolic changes to mitochondria. Can you talk about this study and why it's important? First, why don't you tell us what, remind us what mitochondria is? <laughs> so yeah, mitochond mitochondria are these uh, organelles in our cells. So there are these compartments in our cells that are really responsible for generating energy. Uh, and so they're, they're the major energy producers, they're the powerhouses of the cells, if you will. Uh, and we can get these beautiful images of NADH autofluorescence. Uh, and with our, a, a lot of the studies that we perform looking at an optical redox ratio of NADH and FAD, we don't take advantage of this, these high resolution images that we can get. And, uh, and so we can see these different patterns within the cell uh, of the NADH autofluorescence. And this corresponds to the organization of the mitochondria. And so we've developed a, a technique to rapidly quantify and characterize the uh, patterns that we see within the cells uh, just using that NADH uh, uh, autofluorescence image. And that's particularly uh, Im important because a number of the, uh, a number of microscopes and, and certainly the clinically, uh, uh, the, the clinical multiphoton microscopes available are uh, really only utilizing and, and capable of measuring NADH autofluorescence, uh, as well as some collagen organization, but they can't measure FAD autofluorescence, something that we've typically used and others use to assess metabolism. So uh, using this technique where we can characterize the changes in the mitochondrial patterns uh, using just NADH, we can characterize changes in metabolism that are occurring just using that NADH uh, image. Well, Kyle, I'd like to thank you again for visiting with us today, and we look forward to learning more about your research in the coming months and years. Thanks for having me here. Music for Short Talks from the Hill was written and performed by Ben Harris, guitar instructor at the University of Arkansas. For more information and additional podcasts, go to KUAF.com or researchfrontiers.uark.edu, the home of research news at the University of Arkansas.